Dancers have a lot to balance. From their pirouettes to their jumps, a dancer's performance is a direct result of hard work and motivation. So where does food fit into this? There's a lot of myths and a ton of antiquated ideals about what a dancer's diet should look like. And I'm here to dispel those. I'm Rachel Fine, registered dietitian nutritionist and founder of To The Point Nutrition. I'm the dance nutritionist and I'm here to tell you that to be a successful dancer, you don't have to diet. Instead, I'll teach you how to use food as your best tool to enhance your performance. A nourishing meal plan not only fuels your dancing, but also enhances your strength, improves your balance, supports your flexibility, and most importantly, reduces your risk to injury. Hi. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you. Why don't you give us an introduction of who you are and kind of walk us through your journey as a pre-professional dancer to professional. I already told you I've been following you in your ABT days for years. So uh, definitely fill us in. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so my, my, you know, ballet road started um, pretty young. I was, I think I was around six years old. Um, I, one of my best friends in school, she went to ballet after school every day. And I just idolized her. I wanted to be just like her. So I, that's the reason I started dancing. It wasn't because I wanted to do ballet necessarily. It was just because <laughs> I wanted to be like this girl. Her name was Brianna. Anyway, and I loved it. And um, <clears throat> I, it was always my favorite ballet it was always the, you know, top of the list for me. So um, I trained uh, probably the most seriously with Oregon Ballet Theater um, and then did some ABT summer intensives, um, probably three years, I think I did ABT summer intensives. And that sort of is what brought me to New York. So I, the last summer, they offered me the studio company contract. And um, so I was fortunate enough to accept that and moved to New York at 16 and, um, and did a year of uh, maybe a year and a couple months of studio company and then a contract opened up in the main company. Um, and so I joined the main company at 17 and um, danced with ABT for 10 years. And then I um, finished sort of, I had some injuries um, kind of the last three years of my my career there. And so that's sort of what led me towards kind of stopping dancing as a professional. And um, then I took uh, sort of an administrative position with the school. Uh, I was the student life uh, coordinator. And I learned a lot through that. And I that's sort of also where I started teaching a little bit. So I did the national training curriculum with ABT. I did all the levels. It was incredible. It's such a great program. Um, and started teaching, sort of subbing here and there, different levels within the school. And then I had my son. Um, and then the year after that, I started teaching for the school in, in, instead of doing the student life position. Then I've been teaching for the past six years since then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you moved to New York at a pretty young age. How was that move? Were, were you with family? Were you alone? Yes. Um, so one dancer in the company, she had, she was about five years older than me. Um, her name was Angela. She had trained also at my school and moved to New York. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened that her roommate moved out. So she needed a roommate because that was a big thing. My parents were very yeah. happy for me, but also sort of like, well, Leanne, how are you, <laughs> you going to move to New York at 16? Where are you going to live? 
So, um, so she, she sort of took me in and showed me the ropes of living in New York City and helped me kind of figure everything out. Okay, that's great. Yeah, because I speak to so many dancers who make that move at such a young age. It's usually after a summer intensive, and then they're they're in another state. I work with a ton of dancers that will be in another state from their parents, and it's definitely a huge obstacle in regards to fueling their body. So how was that? I mean, do you, you know, at what point did you as a dancer connect that your food choices were impacting your body? Right. Well, I think um, as a student, before I moved, I had a pretty, you know, good head on my shoulders. And I, I, my family, we always ate very healthy. So I, Mm -hmm. I, you know, that was a good setup for me. Um, And, but yeah, it is a transition when you're on your own and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, you have influences from other people around you who, who do things a little differently. I was never afraid of eating carbohydrates. Um, So I, I think there was a point in probably probably actually once I was a professional in the main company and feeling a lot of pressure in my role there um, where I struggled a bit. Um, but I, I just, I, I was an adult at that point. So I just sought a therapist and, you know, mm-hmm. figured out how to navigate through that. And um, so, yeah. Yeah, so many good points you bring up. The first, you use the word influence, which is so important in today's day, because unlike when you were transitioning in that time, obviously social media is a much larger role in these younger dancers' Mm -hmm. lives, um, and they can have access to a ton of misinformation and maybe not misinformation, but just what work, what might work for someone won't, won't be appropriate for like a very active dancer. So I love hearing that you had this framework that wasn't based around like fear of food or fear of carbohydrates. And it sounds like you really were able to hold on to the idea of balance and what you needed as a dancer. But the biggest thing here is it sounds like you in your professional t- uh, years realized that seeking support was something that you needed. Mm -hmm. I I think everybody, we all need support at different times in our lives. And I think it's important for dancers to know that if they are struggling or if they even, even if they don't know if they're struggling per se, but they feel something's off or, you know, there's no shame in seeking help or seeking advice. Even Mm -hmm. it's not even help. It could just be, I need to, you know, I need to go see a nutritionist. I need to really get the basics down and I need to figure out a plan or, whatever it might be, it might be physical, it might be emotional, it might be mental, um, but to never be afraid to um, ask for ask for that support when you feel like you might need it. Yeah, and another thing that I notice with younger dancers, I am guilty of this myself, is they can get so hyper-focused on what they're doing that it becomes where it's not even about not wanting to ask, but it's about just kind of pushing it to the side because they're so hyper-focused and getting that contract, you know, Mm -hmm. getting to the next step that um, I feel like, honestly, I'm guilty of this. Before you know it, your physical or your mental or your emotional well-being is what falls to the waistline. How do you identify, do you identify dancers who might need support? Do you encourage the support in your classes? Like, how does that work now as in this new role? Not right. so new, well, but. Yeah, well, no, it's still, it still feels new in a sense. I feel like we're, as a teacher, it's so different being a teacher than being a dancer. It's, it's completely different. So totally two different roles, but um, so I'm still learning so much and I feel like I have so much more to, to continue to learn. But um, 
you know, I mean, obviously there are red flags to watch out for in students. I, I teach generally on the younger side. So like anywhere from six to 12, I, I do teach advanced dancers too, but um, in the past six years, more in that age group. Um, so probably maybe not as many red flags would show up quite at that age. Um, I think it maybe happens a little bit as they get older, but it's not, it's not that it couldn't, you know, it's not that those dancers don't struggle with things too. Um, so I just try in my classes to really offer all of my students kind of a safe space, you know, whenever we're in class, obviously we're there to work and we're there to learn, but I also want it to be fun, you know, because dancing is so much fun and it, and it's mm -hmm. a privilege to be able to dance. And a lot of these schools that I teach for, they're beautiful ballet schools. They're the best, you know, so it's, it really, I try to reiterate that, that it's a, it's a privilege to dance in this room and that we have to have respect for each other. Um, but it's also a safe, a safe place where you can make mistakes and you can ask for help if you need it or, you know, whatever they're, whatever they might be going through. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I also think it's such a good point that you bring up the age difference because mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely a difference between like the six to 12 year olds versus the 13 to 18 year olds. When, when they're older, they have more external influences upon them. And that's when they'll go off, off to different summer intensives, experience perhaps, you know, behaviors around food, pick those behaviors up. Um, mm -hmm. But honestly, what you're doing is super important because you're helping to lay that framework of like what they're going to be going with with in regards to that men mentality. So uh, to create that safe space and make it where these younger dancers know that it's okay to maybe not strive for perfection, but instead to strive for progress without sounding, you know, that's so cliche, but it's very true. No, it is. It's true. There is no such thing as perfection. I mean, that's boring anyway. <laughs> and, um, and there's no trying, there's just doing, you know, and it's either you, you do it well or maybe not so well, but you constantly keep trying. But that's also something that um, I would say the ABT's um, national training curriculum really emphasizes the whole dancer. You know, you're not mm. just training bodies to do steps. You're really setting these young people up for um, being able to stay, succeed in anything they do in life, not just, you know, what we're learning in the classroom, in the studios. Yeah, that's yeah. so I always experienced that when, in my days. I did the ABT summer intensives as well, and I always had a very pleasurable experience there. I found that they encourage that multifaceted approach where it's you're not just this dancer from, you know, heading into the studio, going out, going home, and that's it, but actually bringing so much more to the stage, so much more depth and experience. And that's what I try to encourage that with the younger dancers, as much as we need to have that motivation and that drive with this art, because it truly is, you do need that. Um, you also need to have that broad range of experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where we see something like disordered eating, how it could really limit a dancer and, you know, cause them to have that very, that tunnel vision towards food, towards their body, towards their exercise habits and so forth. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it can be a really slippery slope. Um, and I think the influence too of just, yeah, like you mentioned, social media, what we see isn't necessarily the reality, you know, there's, and, and, and also what, might work for somebody doesn't necessarily work for for you you know that's great for them but you're your own person 
Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit about COVID-19 and the quarantine. How was that for you as a mom and as a teacher? Let me hear about that a little bit. Oh my goodness. It was, <laughs> it was a challenge. That's for sure. Um, but uh, gosh, yeah, just being at home. I, I mean, I treasure that time that I had with my son to be with him that much. Um, and at the same time, <laughs> to be with him that much was hard. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it, having little ones is, is always a challenge, but, um, you know, zoom school for a four-year-old is, is pretty difficult. So that was, that mm -hmm. was interesting. Um, and then also zoom teaching for me was a huge curveball. Um, I'm still doing a little bit of that, you know, with, with virtual privates here and there, but, um, yeah, to have an entire level all to myself and to feel the weight of wanting to give them everything they need, you know, but they're dancing at home on like t tile or concrete or, you know, and it's only one dimension through the screen. I can't turn around, you know, I can't see them sideways or back, you know, that was, that was difficult and challenging, but, you know, we got through it and, um, you know, there were definitely silver linings to Zoom and, and all of that too, like being able to reach more students that don't necessarily live just in the New York area or New Jersey or Connecticut, but, you know, people from all over the world. So that was, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm curious, what were some of the biggest adjustments that you had to make in your teaching or in what you had dancers do when over Zoom? Mm -hmm. Well, um, so for me, I feel as a person, I'm, I'm generally kind of more quiet and introverted, but mm -hmm. on, on Zoom, you kind of really have to engage them even more because, you know, you're just a screen. Um, you're not in a room and they're, they're not surrounded by their peers. There's not a live pianist. So um, I felt like I really had to use my voice and use my vocals up and down and um, really keep an eye on them, you know, say their names. And so they know, oh, she's, she really is watching me, <laughs> you know. Um, mm -hmm. Another thing, we sort of adjusted the curriculum a little bit just because, you know, having certain things like quasi um, on Zoom is a little harder to, um, to have it done correctly. And again, we don't want to train dancers the wrong way. It's much, I'm sure you know this, it's much harder to fix something once they've mm -hmm. already learned how to do it that way rather than to just teach it the right way the first time mm -hmm. so um yeah those were some of the things and and just the other general stuff that people run into with zoom which is the sound you know cutting out music when you're speaking and um yeah so it's, it's a little bit a little bit tricky <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I have that too, even just in the virtual like, counseling work that I do, um, because mm -hmm. so much of the work I do is a lot of mindset work as well. And you really have to uh, give it like 200% to for it to translate on the screen as just being 100%. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I'm curious about, you know, the word balance and how you were able to perhaps maybe incorporate more balance into your life as an educator and if and how you were able to do this as a dancer and how those two roles like differed? Yeah, so, well, I don't know. That's a great question. I, I think it's hard for dancers, I think, to have balance just because, you know, we all have such a passion and love for dance. And I think that's God given and that's, that's, 
so wonderful that we have found a passion. You know, some people never find their passion. So um, not to downplay that, but yeah, we can get very, um, you know, perfectionistic and like you said, tunnel vision. Um, for me, I, I grew up in a family um, that we were, you know, a Christian family and we, we had a strong faith. So I always sort of feel like I had a broader vision of like dance is, you know, that's a huge part of my life and I have such a love for it. Um, but it's not the be all end all, you know, there's more to life than just what I do in my ballet classes or what I do in my rehearsals or what I do on the stage in a performance. There's just so much more than that. So I think for me, that's sort of always how I've balanced both, you know, in my dancing, you know, training, professional career, and, and also my teaching um, is just sort of having that the perspective. Yeah. Definitely. I love that word perspective and being able to take a couple steps back, look in and making sure, because that's how you kind of evaluate if uh, what you're doing on a day to day is balanced or if you're leading yourself to burnout, which per perfectionistic tendencies can actually do. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a line, you know, we, we're our bodies, we can only push them so far. Mm -hmm. um, and as much as we work hard, I actually just had this conversation with one of my students. Um, as hard as we work and as much as we push ourselves, um, you know, you're, you're, you can't burn the candle on both ends, so to speak. You have to get to a point where you also rest because yeah. then if you're just pushing and you're just doing, doing, doing all the time, it's actually harmful. It's, you're not helping yourself. You have to rest at some point and you have to, like you said, you have to have balance. We, of course, we want to eat well. We want to fuel our bodies well, but we also are human. You also have to enjoy things and and, um, you know, not be so regimented all the time. Definitely. And not, you know, try to seek so much control over everything we eat. Instead, mm -hmm. think of food as also just being an experience in life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So Leanne, my final question for you is one that I ask everyone, and I'd love to hear how you define personally and how you reflect this onto your students, what it means to be the healthy dancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think um, a lot of what I sort of said already, which is, you know, the, the, the balance, like we talked about, um, working hard and, and, um, and knowing what's, what's healthy, you know, fueling our bodies with good fruits and vegetables and proteins and carbohydrates and fat, you know, like, but those are all things your body absolutely needs to function well. So there's that part. There's, um, the mental part of health, which is like, you know, making sure that you, you're feeling good in your brain about things. Cause I think if your mental state is, is, is sound, is healthy, um, kind of everything else will, will follow. Um, and then, you know, physically taking care of your body as well, because like we just said before, if you're just pushing, 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 and I have to rehearse more, I have to take another class and I'm going to take Pilates and I'm going to do this. And I'm going to, you know, if you're just constantly asking something from your body and never giving back to it, like maybe having a massage, if you, if you're, you know, can afford to do that or taking a long hot Epsom salt bath or taking a day off or two or three, if you need it, you know, those things are, are also just as beneficial as, as the training can be. Um, and then I think this is something I also, um, struggled with as a student and as a professional and, and something I think a lot of um, my students 
tend to do, it's normal, we all do this, is comparison. Um, and that is something that I think can really hinder a dancer. Um, don't pay attention to anybody else, you know, and what they're doing, what works for them or what they're able to accomplish is great, but you're focusing on, on, on just you, right? And just doing what you can do today, um, celebrating the little victories that you have and not focusing so much on, you know, the mistakes that we made. Um, so just being, being conscious to not compare ourselves to others. I think those things yeah. for me are what kind of encompass being a, a healthy dancer. Yeah, I, I love that. And I totally agree. I think so often it's really ingrained into us to utilize the mirror for reasons of comparisons. But we need to remember, like, comparisons can be helpful, but they can also be very harmful. And mm -hmm. focusing only on our flaws, not on and some, you know, things that we actually do well, we do um, differently than others is, and of course, when it comes to body shapes and sizes, having that diversity, like you said earlier, uh, perfectionism is boring, right? Mm -hmm. Having individuality and diversity is really what the art needs in order to bring depth and to depict more storytelling on stage. Obviously, the industry has a long way to go, but I do think it's moving in the direction we want it to. It's just taking a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you're absolutely right. It is changing. I'm, I'm so thankful for that because it it wasn't that way when you and I were training, you know, there totally. were the resources that there are now and um, mm -hmm. yourself included. Like it's mm -hmm. so, it's so amazing the work you're doing with, with these dancers. And um, hopefully we can just continue to start shifting the, the thought process and, and things will continue to, to change and kind of improve yeah. for the dance world. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Leanne, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been such a pleasure connecting with you and I look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Rachel.